Hello, and welcome to First Week on the Wards OBGYN, a crash course on the basics of obstetrics and gynecology. Today we are covering labor, including tips and tricks during a delivery, and when to know if something is not going as expected. Labor is defined as uterine contractions that cause cervical change. In most situations, laboring and subsequently having a vaginal birth are preferred. However, there are a few scenarios where this is contraindicated, including with complete placenta previa, as we previously discussed, active herpes at the time of delivery, which can be passed to the baby and lead to devastating encephalopathy, as well as a prior classical C-section. A classical C-section is a C-section where a vertical incision is used rather than a low transverse one on the uterus. We are concerned about this as well as any other type of surgery to the fundal myometrium because it increases the risk of uterine rupture. Labor can be broken into three different stages. Stage one is cervical dilation in which a woman progresses all the way until complete or 10 centimeters dilated. The second stage is from full cervical dilation to delivery of the baby. Stage three is from delivery of the baby to delivery of the placenta. There are also definitions about what is considered latent labor and active labor. The definition of latent labor is zero to six centimeters dilated. This definition, which used to be five centimeters, was pushed back to help decrease the risk of unnecessary C-sections for arrest of labor. Arrest and protraction of labor are two terms that come into play during the active phase of labor. During the active phase, cervical dilation should be somewhat predictable and should be changing at least one centimeter every two hours. Protraction of labor means that the cervix is changing, but not changing at the rate we expect. Oftentimes, this may be due to inadequate contractions and can be fixed by giving or increasing oxytocin. Inadequate contractions has a very specific definition, which is considered to be greater than or equal to 200 Montevide units. If you look at a fetal tracing, the top of the tracing is the baby's heart rate. The bottom, or the toco, is the mom's contractions. If you measure the height of every contraction for 10 minutes and add them together, the sum should be greater than 200 to be considered adequate contractions. You must remember that external monitoring of contractions is not as accurate as internal monitoring when assessing the exact height of the peaks. Internal monitors to measure the strength of contractions are called IUPCs, and internal monitors for fetal heart rate are scalp electrodes. Back to the topic. Protraction is when dilation is slower than expected. Arrest occurs when there is no cervical change for four hours with adequate contractions and for six hours with inadequate contractions. True arrest of the first stage of active labor is an indication for a cesarean section. If, however, our mother progresses to 10 centimeters dilated and is complete, we have now entered the second stage of labor and are ready to start pushing. At this stage, as a medical student, it is important that you have prepared and are ready to get yourself in the mix. In order to do this, you need to have had met the mother. You also need to have the necessary supplies set up in the room so that you can assist. You will need a gown, sterile gloves, booties, and an eye shield. When the call comes that a mom is ready to push, go ahead and help breaking down the bed if you know how and getting gowned up. This is sometimes a crazy time, so taking the initiative to be responsible for yourself is always appreciated. 
As the baby descends through the birth canal, it will go through the various cardinal movements of labor, including descent, flexion, internal rotation, extension, external rotation or restitution, and then expulsion. With each contraction that the mother has, she will push. Ideally, she will get at least three pushes with each contraction. She will take a deep breath, pull up her legs, grab onto the back of her legs or a handle, and will push through her bottom for 10 seconds before taking a breath and doing it again. During this time, if you feel comfortable, you can voice reassurance and support. A rest of the second stage of labor is different than a rest of the first. Rest of the second stage occurs when mom has been pushing for two hours if multiparous and without an epidural, three hours if multiparous with an epidural or if nulliparous, and four hours or if nulliparous with an epidural. Essentially, you start at two hours and add one extra hour for epidural and or being nulliparous, both things that we would expect to lead to a longer laboring process. A rest of the second stage of labor is an indication for cesarean section. Here is a great time to talk about the P's of labor. Power, passenger, and pelvis, each referring to a possible mechanism leading to the arrest or prolongation of labor. Power simply refers to the strength of contraction. Passenger refers to the fetus either being a very large baby or being malpositioned. The ideal position for the fetus is OA, or occiput anterior. This means that the crown of the head is pointing toward the anterior part or the top of mom. This position is ideal because it allows the fetal head to pass more smoothly underneath the pubic bone as they go through the cardinal movements. OP, occiput posterior, or as some call sunny side up, is when the head is pointing toward mom's posterior or backside. Although vaginal delivery can be successful, the head is not as optimally positioned to fit through the pelvis and labor can be delayed. There are a variety of other ways the head can present, so I suggest you look these up sometime. The visual really helps me to remember them. The last P is pelvis. This is often referring to cephalopelvic disproportion. Although in general the female pelvis is designed for vaginal deliveries, there is wide variability in pelvic shape and size. This is where you can get into this discussion of pelvimetry and the different types of pelvises, but that's a discussion for another time. One way we can assist in the setting of a prolonged second stage of labor is with an operative vaginal delivery, either with the vacuum or forceps. We won't discuss these in detail now, but looking up when to use them and the possible complications that may arise from their use is helpful. After the baby is delivered, the final stage of labor begins and will end with the delivery of the placenta. Unless there are contraindications like general anesthesia or needing to immediately provide care to the infant, delayed cord clamping will occur. This has shown to have a variety of beneficial effects for the infant, including increased hemoglobin and iron stores. After the cord is clamped, the blood is milked away and a second clamp is placed. This allows you to cut between the clamps without squirting blood everywhere. Once the baby is free, the next order of business is delivering the placenta, the part that the student often gets to do the most. Before this occurs, this is a great opportunity to get mixed cord blood or separated venous and arterial blood if necessary. The key to delivering the placenta is to place suprapubic pressure with one hand while also pulling with gentle downward traction on the cord with the other. As the cord elongates, you will need to roll the cord or move the clamps up closer to maintain a short distance between where you are pulling and the mother's perineum.
This provides better control and decreases the risk of avulsing the cord. If at any point you feel uncomfortable with the amount of resistance you are feeling, let the resident know. As the placenta delivers, you will want to provide a gentle twisting motion to help sweep up all the membranes. The placenta will be placed to the side and mom will be checked for lacerations or tears first. Examining the placenta involves looking at the umbilical cord to ensure you have a three-vessel cord, including two smaller, thicker-walled arteries and one larger, thinner-walled vein, like a smiley face. You can then examine baby's smooth side of the placenta before flipping it over to examine the maternal side. Here you will look for abnormalities as well as making sure that all the cotyledon are intact. If there is concern about the placenta or baby, then the placenta may be sent off for pathology. For the most part, that was a quick overview of labor and delivery. It's a beautiful process and we're so lucky to have the opportunity to be part of it. Before we end this episode, I want to quickly cover the topic of induction of labor. There are a variety of methods that can be used for induction of labor. The first step of induction is ripening of the cervix. Two big categories for doing this are chemical and mechanical. Chemical methods include cytotec, which is mesoprostol, prostaglandin E1, and cervidil, dinoprostone, prostaglandin E2. Cytotec is the cheaper option. It is a pill placed in the posterior fornix of the vagina. The pill dissolves and we can check the cervix four hours later. Repeated doses can be given as long as she isn't contracting. Once this medicine dissolves, we cannot get it back. Cervidil is an insert with an attached long string. It is placed within the vagina and can be pulled at any time up until 12 hours. Mechanical methods used for cervical ripening include the Foley bulb and the double bubble or Cook catheter. A Foley bulb is like a Foley catheter. It is placed through the cervix and the balloon is inflated just past the internal os. The double bubble is the same except it also has a balloon that is blown up just outside the external os as a sandwich on either side of the cervix. Once the cervix is ripe and favorable, induction can proceed. The way to tell whether or not the cervix is quote-unquote favorable is by using the Bishop's criteria, which looks at dilation of the cervix, effacement or thinning of the cervix, and station of the baby in relation to the ischial spines, as well as consistency and position of the cervix. A score less than 6 is unfavorable, and a score greater than 8 is favorable. The area in between is a gray zone. Induction is typically done with IV oxytocin. An important concept to remember when giving oxytocin is uterine tachycystole, when we are stimulating the uterus to contract too much. Contractions should be about two minutes apart, so in a 10-minute period, five contractions is acceptable. If, however, we are having more than that, so greater than or equal to six contractions in a 10-minute period, that is considered tachycystole, and we need to either turn down or turn off the oxytocin. When the uterus contracts, Blood vessels are kinked in the myometrium and a momentary decrease in blood supply occurs. Normally, baby is fine because it has lots of reserves. However, if we are doing this too much for too long, distress may begin to show. Other options for induction are membrane stripping, artificial rupture of membranes, which is done with a small plastic hook, and nipple stimulation. Well, that was it. As much labor and delivery that we could fit in one episode. 